Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. It's been a while again. <laughs> It's been a month. <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs>、uh, we try. We try. Yeah. yeah. So, before we start our topic today, let's do like a quick check in. How's life been? <laughs> It's been fine. Like, we were talking about, like, I was telling Summer about just like my life and like where I'm kind of at before we started recording. Um, and it's fine. Like, adulthood is just weird. Time is a weird concept once you're an adult. Yeah. You know?、So. Yeah. Right? It's so interesting how, well, I've graduated for like a year. You've graduated for two years.、Yeah. And I still feel like we suck at adulting. <laughs> I know. I feel so young and it's just kind of like, I feel so lost and like purposeless.、Yeah. Pur- I guess that's the word. Um, cause、yeah. it's funny because when I hung out with like a bunch of friends a few weeks ago,、uh, one of them was asking me if I felt happy or like content at where I am in life right now. And it's like,、mm. yeah, I do. Like, day to day life is fine. But like, when I think about just like what I'm doing, it's kind of like I'm just kind of floating and I don't know, you know? Like, I feel there's not much intention behind the things I'm doing, just kind of doing things because it seems like the right Next step to do, and mm, so yeah. that's my life. Yeah. <laughs> But day to day, it's like fine. Like, it's like I have very happy moments, and like I'm I'm happy and grateful. But I think just like when I zoom out, it's kind of like, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. I gotta figure that out. Yeah. yeah. It's good that you have the awareness about it, though. Like, at least you know, like, it is a problem, then you can start thinking about ways to. How to go about it. Yeah, yeah. I have too、I、much awareness it about it sometimes, I feel like, and it stresses <laughs> me out. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that. I feel that. Yes.、Yeah. I feel like we're both very self aware people. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Yeah, so I've just been, I feel like for the past few months, I've just been like the same thing. I've been working on my bootcamp, and good news is I'm like, Close to like 95% done for my first project. Like,、oh. I, I'm working on my case study and I'm just getting some final feedback from my mentor. So, the vegetarian app <gasps> that I have been like designing for months、yeah. is finally done. Wow.、Um, so, I'm actually really excited because then I can start on my second project.、Um, I'm still trying to think about like what I want to do.、Um, No, I have a lot of different like things I feel like I'm passionate about and want to work on.、Mm-hmm. I don't know which one to choose.、Um, but I'm really excited because I think, like, for that bootcamp on the first project,、um, they expect you to like take longer, but then starting from like the second project because you kind of already know the process and don't need as much feedback anymore.、Mm-hmm. Like, I can start moving faster. Mm. Um, hopefully, I can you know, finish this bootcamp as soon as possible and have my portfolio up. And yeah, it's just really exciting because I feel like I'm finally making some actual progress.、Mm-hmm. Like having the case study and just having something out is a very fulfilling feeling. Yeah.、Um, then, other than that, Um, yeah, I've been making more friends like in my bootcamp, like building really cool connections, and it keeps me motivated、mm-hmm. to study. That's good.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds yeah, like there's a、I'm、lot、happy. like coming, you know? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. There will be. There will be. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. But yeah. yeah. Speaking about our jobs, <laughs> our <laughs> career choices, um, today we're going to talk about kind of, well, not really like Hong Kong versus U.S. because we're mo- mainly going to focus on Hong Kong, but we're going to talk about Hong Kong work culture because it's such an, well, now that we're in the workforce and like our friends in Hong Kong are in the workforce, it's like such an interesting topic, such an interesting like dynamic, mm-hmm. and it's like very specific to Hong Kong. So. I guess before we start our analysis, we can talk about, like, where we are in our careers and what, growing up, like, what expectations we had Uh from society or just, like, what we wanted to be and, like, where we are now, you know? Ooh, ooh, okay. Getting deep. I know. (laughs) Do you, did you want to be something, or even just, like, not as a kid, but, like, in school, was there, like, a career path that you wanted to, to go yeah, yeah. So when I was a kid, I really thought that I was interested in finance because my nanny, like she would trade stock and she like look at stock news, financial news every day. And then I would help her to like, look at, oh, like stock prices of this like bank rise today. Mm-hmm. And then like, I would just like mark down like the prices for her and everything. And I thought I, I was interested in that. And that also led me to kind of believe that, okay, probably business would be the path to go on. Like, it's safe. Mm-hmm. And I also mm-hmm. don't consider myself as, like, a STEM person or, like, I don't know, liberal studies mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we have Man Lei Sang, which is, like, Man is kind of, like, literature, like, liberal studies. Mm-hmm. Lei is STEM, and then Sang is business. Mm-hmm. I don't identify with the first two. So then I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go into business. And when I got to secondary school um, at the time, I think my teacher made me think that like international business or like global business mm-hmm. is like this shiny thing that can help you make a lot of money and like shiny major. Mm. Um, so it sounds cool. for a while. Yeah, for a while, I really want to get into international business. Mm. But then, so, in, I think, like, when I moved to the U.S. and then I, I got the chance to study marketing. Um, I took a course about marketing in City College when I was in high school. And I was like, wow, this is super interesting. Mm. But then when I applied to college, I think I was still, like, drawn to, like, international business or, like, just business in general, but, like, don't know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But that's why I applied to entrepreneurship at LMU because it's, like, all-encompassing. I don't have to, like, choose one particular aspect of, like, business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then slowly, I realized I'm, I'm not the type of material to be an entrepreneur. And then because I was interested in marketing, so I was like, okay, I'll go into marketing. and then. Through that, um, I got to explore advertising. Mm-hmm. And through advertising, I got to kind of like explore my creativity. I never thought of myself as like a creative person. I still don't think that I'm a creative person. Mm-hmm. But I think I have like, it's something that I'm interested in. Mm. And I have a good eye for visual design. Yeah, you have a good and eye. kind of, <laughs> I think like, really like advertising really helped me and then eventually I realized advertising isn't for me either 
um, and I discovered UX design, and that's the field that I am in right now, and the bootcamp I'm taking right now. So that's like a spill of how my career path kind of evolved over time. It makes sense, like knowing your like drive, but also your like creative side. It's like this is this makes sense for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense. What about you? Oh my gosh, it's funny because I've been writing my personal statement because I'm applying to, you know, go back to school and get my teaching credential, whatever. But it's funny because my whole personal statement is like my journey with like what I like my career choice and stuff and how I started off as a kid. And I like don't know why, but as a child, I would like making like fake tests for myself and I would fill them in and then I would correct them and I give myself a grade. So I guess as a kid, like, I wanted to be a teacher. But then I was writing about how as I grew up, like, I feel like the social pressures made me stray away from that because obviously education is, like, what the climate education is in now, like, it's just not the best and it's, like, not enough pay. Oh, my God. We were talking about how people in education get paid so little, but because Mm -hmm. but without education, there would be no other job. So it's, like, why is education (laughs) paid so little? But, yeah, the pay is not the best. And it's, like, I feel like the stigma of, like, being a teacher is just kind of, like, not as good as work, like, a businessman or, like, a lawyer or doctor, you know? So I feel like the social pressure has, like, steered me away from that. And then in secondary school, when we were studying, choosing our subjects, I chose – business like I chose business as one of them like accounting where I had to learn debit and credit and other stuff and I was like why am I doing this I didn't like it but then I did history and English literature and I really liked history but then I was like what am I gonna do with history you know but then I was I was focused on business too because that's just what I thought like I'm not good at science um there's nothing really like I want to go for in like the the arts Mm-hmm. yeah or maybe at the time I was just like uh, it's just not the socially right thing to do um, and especially because like my dad is in business so it's also like I feel like there was that and a lot of my family is in business so there's a lot of that unspoken pressure influence yeah yeah and then yeah because like you know they compare you to your cousins and whatever it's annoying mm-hmm. Um, but then in college, that's what that was when I was like, okay, I'm really passionate about education. And it's funny because I feel like everybody around me knew that. And then after <laughs> college, I didn't go for education. Well, because I didn't like have enough time to study for that major. So then I just went a different route, went into nonprofit. And then even then, it was just this year that I was like, I don't like it. What should I do with my life? And I still didn't go for education. And then, so my whole personal statement is just how about how I found my way back to education, which is like funny because now I'm working at a school. But yeah, definitely like my I applied to college as an econ major because I was like econ is kind of businessy, but you know, like still kind of psychology based. Like yeah, it's still social. It's not just mm-hmm. like business and like numbers, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah. And then I went to, um, I think sophomore year, I took business something or econ something. And then it was like all math. And I was like, nope. Micro macros, whatever. Yeah, macro. It was macro. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't know why it took me so long to like be like, okay. 
education and I really like it I think it is for me because it's like very fast-paced like you have to be alert all the time like I just can't do an office job you know so mm-hmm. that's I that's how I am here now <laughs> Mm. yes it's your journey yeah and i'm glad that you found your way back to education and like do something that you're truly passionate about mm-hmm. 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 yeah you have to be yeah. passionate for education or else yeah <laughs> nobody would be in it yeah cool so did you have like any experience working in hong kong kind of like i did summer intern like i did i worked as an intern at a hospital when I was still an econ major. Oh, yeah. yeah. I collected data. Basically, I would go around with, like, questionnaires and surveys um, and mm. ask patients there, like, what their experience was. And then I would input that mm. into, like, an Excel sheet and stuff. Um, and then I did, I did tutoring in Hong Kong for, like, a few months when I was there. And I worked at a summer camp. But the summer camp was, like, very American. It was put on by an American, you know, university. So it was – I worked with a lot of people who were from the U.S. So I don't think that mm. really counted. But I think my other two jobs that I had before were very chill because I was a student. <laughs> so it wasn't, like, anything, mm. like – it wasn't a full-time job. It was only, like, a few hours of the week. So yeah. I don't think I really experienced, like, how it is working in Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah. I see. But you yeah. haven't. Have you? I have like one summer. Yeah, one summer. What did you do? Um, but my situation is kind of um, like it's kind of special because I I only got that job through connection and like I knew the boss of that mm-hmm. company. So I worked at a finance company and they helped companies to go IPO basically in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, so there's like a lot of like consulting work, uh, that kind of stuff. I I totally forgot what I did at the at the time. I just remember reading a lot of regulations, conducting some like competitive analysis at some point. Okay. And they also gave me some like marketing experience. But okay, the point is, um, because I knew like the boss of that company, and she's like. She's like one of the. I feel like she's one of the most influential people in my life. Oh, um, she's really strict mm-hmm. on me, like mm-hmm. very high expectation. I don't know what I did wrong the first day. I don't remember, but like she literally yelled at me and I cried in the office the first mm-hmm. day of work. So that wasn't a really good start, and I just felt like it was really big pressure. And also, like I was really young back then, probably like. 17 yeah so it's super young in the company and then everybody else is like at least 20 something yeah and i just felt a lot of pressure and stress when i was working there um like i'm one of those people who you know how like in the we'll go into it later on like but in hong kong you feel like you need to work hard and you can't be the first one who leave the office. Yeah. You know? So I would like, if no one left the office that day, like after six, I'll keep staying. Or like, if I don't get permission from my boss to like leave, then I'll keep staying there even though mm. I have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Like you have that pressure there. And then 
Um, the office is also like on the opposite side of where I live. So I live in New Territories in like yeah. Jeon. Yeah. And the the office is in Wanzai, which is Hong Kong Island. Mm. So the the commute is like one and a half hour, like one way. So three hours a day. It was really, really tiring because I have to wake up really early. And mm-hmm. then go to work, and then when I come back, it's like late nine or something, and then yeah. that's just my entire. And I'm exhausted, and then yeah, that's like my entire day, and then you just go and repeat that on the next day, and it sucks because also as an intern, sometimes like you really just don't have as much work to do, and you just mm-hmm. sit there and like, mm-hmm. what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, yeah. And I have to wait for other people to like give me commands. <laughs> yeah, and and, just, and you want to please yeah. them, you know. You want to like yeah. do well because they're gonna recommend you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like as a, it's hard yeah. to like know how to professionally, not even set boundaries, but just like when you're starting at a place so young, you're just kind of like you just have to follow everything they do. You know, that's mm-hmm. like what what you expect as a new person at the company. But that's so interesting when you mentioned about the travel distance because that's how it is in Hong Kong. Like people don't move out. So it's like you commute an hour yeah. to work and that's just how it is. I know though mm-hmm. my friend did say like if she works overtime, the company pays for her Uber home. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe that's, that's also why people work overtime. Um, but yeah, that's that's you don't get to move out and live near where you live. I mean you do. If no. Some people do. You make but enough. Rarely. But like, very rarely. Like rent in, in Hong Kong is like another another story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, that's wild. Yeah, so to conclude, I would just say it's really stressful mm-hmm. and a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Yes. No work-life balance. <sighs> so to, I guess, explain like some of these traits in Hong Kong work culture, we have to start with the ideologies that shape the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think like one of the biggest things that really shaped Hong Kong working culture is Confucianism. Is that how you say it? Confucianism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so basically it's an idea that like healthy human relationships are built and maintained because of inherent structures and hierarchies that must be respected. And in a way, I think that manifests into the notion of seniority. Oh God, seniority. <laughs> Senior. Wait, how do you Senior- say it? Sen- seniority. Seniority. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like people who are older have more power and respect. So, like, I think in Hong Kong business culture, um, they place very high value. Um, on the significance of keeping face, a strong deference for age and seniority and higher, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> like and hierarchies. Yeah, um, yeah. So like, while Hong Kong is celebrated for its mingling East and West values, the adherence to hierarchies based on position and age established through Hong Kong's Chinese culture remains very prevalent. So, like, while ideas from all employees are valued in traditional firms, senior management, um, which can also mean the eldest associate in some case, 
Um, they are mostly highly respected. They lead meetings and are the first to be acknowledged in both greeting and departing. That is really interesting because, yeah, like it is really true that like you need to greet those people and be like super respectful, or else you will get into trouble. Yeah, and I think like working in that environment can be just really stressful because you're very yeah, like you're very like. Scared that you're gonna make the wrong step, say the wrong thing, or forgot to say something. Yeah, it's not just about like how good you do your work, which is what a job should be. Like, I I understand there should be professionalism within a job, right? Like, you need to be polite, you can't be rude. It's not just about doing your job, but I feel like in Hong Kong, it's not. It really isn't just about doing your job. Like, you have to read the room and like appease. Like, even my friend was saying, a lot of the People that she works with are very tahai. Like they, they're very what is the word? People like pleaser. people pleaser, especially to their boss, but like, like in a negative way. Yeah, like they <laughs> they shine their shoes basically, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they know that this will affect their like performance, and it's a lot of politics. Yeah, a lot of politics. Yeah, and there's clicks and stuff too, and I feel like this whole thing has affected me in my work culture too and it's weird because like I feel like in the U.S. everyone is kind of not on the same level but like you're very friendly to each other you don't adhere to this kind of like well obviously if you're like talking to your boss you know like there is respect there Mm -hmm. but you can still maintain casual conversation and like be you know really on that friendly level but I realize that I can't do that and I think it's because this is ingrained in me like Mm-hmm. I when I talk to like the principal or like teachers who are like have been here longer than me I feel like I shouldn't be like I feel like mm. weird addressing them in a friendly way because they are higher than me you know but then I yeah. force myself to like know that that's I don't know that that would be said as unprofessional in the U.S. I feel like because mm. You need to maintain that small talk within coworkers, and you can't just be like, do whatever they want you to do, kind of, kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm I'm struggling with, and it I think it's because of this. <laughs> mm, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like when I was working in Hong Kong too, like always hear stories about like the intern would need to like get coffee mm-hmm. for everyone like do all the very minor administrative work for yeah. other people it's like but this you know like it's not in the job description but like people expect you to yeah. do that yeah. yeah and also going back to like the american working culture i feel like it really depends on the companies that you work at like i can still see how some very traditional american companies are probably like very like that like have a very strong like hierarchy but i feel like especially in like the tech world um, people are kind of dismantling Mm. that structure and like encouraging a very collaborative working environment Mm -hmm. nowadays especially for women too i feel like like in the past women were the ones who were forced to go do all the admin stuff and like you know do all the Mm. get the coffee and wash the dishes so yeah, I probably in some big companies it's still like that. Mm-hmm. Sadly, but yes, 
So Confucianism and then also collectivism is like a huge thing in Asian culture. Um, I mean, we talked about this previously with family too and how like mm-hmm. we're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about when you make a decision, you're making a decision for the whole family. Um, so yeah, collectivism just means that individuals perceive themselves as fitting into a bro- broader group or category within a culture. And because they think of the collective, they usually are more willing to sacrifice themselves, sacrifice their autonomy. So in a business context, you're likely to see this thinking in groups of people from the same company, groups of people of the same hierarchy, and groups of people with the same business interests. Yeah, yeah. I have actually, like, heard about, like, a lot of stories from my friend about how, like, there are a lot of cliques mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the workplace. Yeah. And a lot of times you're, like, it's almost like high school or even in college yeah. where you're finding your lunch cliques, you know, your lunch group. Yeah, yeah. And it's seen as, like, bad if you don't have a group. Mm-hmm. And even cliques would, like, do shady stuff, too. I don't know. It's just, yeah. like, they do they shady stuff. They gossip a lot. They gossip, and they, like, comment on your clothes, and, like, oh, and, like, if you have a brand name bag, um, is what my friend told mm. me. And then, yeah, they, like, stab you in the back because they want to get promoted, you know? It's very, like, really? money-minded. Yeah. Or yeah, they, money-minded. Like, they shine shoes to, you know, get more opportunities. Mm-hmm. but maybe yeah. we're not in the u.s like business corporate world so we don't like you Unders- know we don't see it we don't see it yeah i can i can see it like i'm sure it happens like everywhere right not just in hong kong to mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. like i'm sure people here like we're social animals and we want to be accepted by other people so naturally we're going to form groups but i feel like the Hong Kong culture can sometimes be a little bit more toxic because there are just a lot of like gossiping, putting other people mm-hmm. down, like talking behind their backs and everything. And there's so many people competing for the same thing. <laughs> Things. Yeah, right? Yeah. And there's only certain, co- like prestige is a big thing in Hong Kong, I feel like. Like obviously, if you mm-hmm. work at a bigger company, you get paid more. And so, so many people are fighting for that one spot versus I feel like here it's like there's way more companies that you can choose from and way less emphasis yeah, on prestige. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it definitely is heightened in Hong Kong. Yeah. So speaking of money-minded, another ideology that really shaped Hong Kong working culture is materialism. So the class system is firmly established in Hong Kong and status has a high degree of importance in the lives of many individuals and groups. In the business context, um, remember that people will be making a judgment about you, your company, and your proficiencies before you have even opened your mouth. Everything from the clothes you wear to the car you arrive in will factor into the equation somewhere. So that goes into what you were just talking about, like people will judge what branding bag you you wear what mm-hmm. clothes you have your family background even yeah because you can tell and i feel like even just like in general socially like on the street like people judge you people will be looking at you and like looking at what you're wearing <laughs> and stuff too um yeah but 
Yeah, materialism is huge. Yeah, and I, not only like in the context of people judging you, I feel like also like people because of the judgment mm-hmm. and people want to be accepted, mm-hmm. they will try to pursue more materialistic things. Yes, like they will work more to buy a nicer bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last ideology is entrepreneurialism. And this is the combination of a bustling global economy and a high degree of importance being placed on achievement, and which means that Hong Kong is a perfect home for entrepreneurs. Being busy and having a large workload is seen as a good thing. Some people have even been known to exaggerate their workload to impress senior business leaders and family members, especially parents, which is, we'll go into it deeper later about like working overtime and stuff, but this the standard in Hong Kong, like, to be good, you know, like that saying where it's like, if the new, the new on time is being early, that's kind of like how I feel like this ideology plays in Hong Kong. Like, mm. if you're meeting the standards, that's not enough. Like, the new standard is to be overachieving. Mm. And that is the new, like, that's what you should be doing because everyone around you is doing that. So even yeah, if you yeah, meet yeah, the yeah. standard, but everyone around you is is a higher level than you, then, then you're you not doing higher. enough. Yeah, even though you're doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like the same thing with how I would not leave work until at least one person has left. <laughs> it's like a competition. You, know, like you don't want to be the first one yeah. to leave yeah. to go to lunch. Yeah, it really yeah. is like a competition. But it's funny because I feel like here in in the US, at least on my last job, like when like me and my coworkers would always talk about how it's important to set boundaries and like not say yes to things and like even at my job now, once it hits my time off, obviously there's exceptions, but usually once it hits my time off, I leave. I'm like I don't want to stay to do any more work. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to help you after school. Like this is my time off and I feel like that notion is not practiced in hong kong yeah i feel like if you personally practice that like you will be looked down yeah upon yeah 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 and it'll be yeah, deemed as not like not hard working yeah yeah when you're just respecting your own boundaries mm-hmm. so like i think because of like the ideologies that we talked about it really like lay the breeding ground for a lot of the toxic habits and traits Mm -hmm. um, in Hong Kong working culture. So the first one is like the way how people communicate with each other. Um, Like because the very, because of the hierarchy and like structure in a lot of Hong Kong corporations, like communication in Hong Kong focuses a lot on politeness and saving face. Mm-hmm. Um, communication is more indirect with underlining meanings in their speech. Laughter is soft and direct reversals or disagreement are never given. Like, basically, mm. people are just playing games. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a toxic relationship. Like, yeah, yeah. Just be direct. Like, you, I feel like you can be direct, but word it in a way that's like, you know, professional. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's like you're expected to like be able to guess what they're saying, like mm-hmm. the subtext of what they're mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. And if you're 
you can't do that, then you're not smart. Yeah. No, yeah. you're not a smart worker. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of mental energy. I know. Like, it makes me feel so uncomfortable if I have to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the another toxic trait that stemmed from the ideologies is that there is a high emphasis on a prestigious school, like graduating from a prestigious school, um, especially when they are out of college and they're looking for their first job. Because a lot of – I feel like a lot of work places don't even look at your application if you're like – you are not from a school that is well-recognized when they're, like, mm-hmm. going through all the applications. And so I feel like that also puts pressure on students when they're studying in school. It's like how both of us – I mean, I guess you were always inter- interested in business. But for me, it's more like I need to, you know, study business to – like, what you study in secondary school affects your life trajectory – and this just puts so much pressure on students who are 18 and don't know what to do with their lives. Like, mm-hmm. that's just a lot. But, yeah, I mean, it is very true that your life, you need to start preparing for your adulthood when you are, like, in sophomore year of high school. Or even, yeah. like, no, it's younger freshman year because that's when you pick your subjects for your mm-hmm. DSE. But I feel like with the exception with the prestigious prestigious school is like that if you are from a different country. But even then, I feel like they look at your what school you went to, like your education level. And then once yeah. you've done your first job, like once you've – then they look less on your education, I feel like. But still, mm-hmm. it's like that first job is so important. Mm-hmm. I agree. So it's just a never-ending yeah. cycle. Mm-hmm. of like because like it creates a very very competitive environment and it will lead to a lot of stress among mm-hmm. the students mm-hmm. because there's so like limited amount of space in the prestigious universities mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. and there's so many people it's like a pipeline yeah 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 like like some parents will send their like, some parents will literally move to a new area in order to set their child, children up for success because, mm-hmm. like, there is a good school in that area from, like, primary school to, like, secondary school yeah. and then go into college. Exactly. Even, like, in secondary school, right, at least for local school, there's, like, rankings for the schools. Like, mm-hmm. band one, band two, band three. So it's, like, you've been set up. <laughs> and even, yeah. like... Especially in sixth grade, right? Sixth grade, you take the exam, and then that determines what secondary school you get into. So mm-hmm. even in sixth grade, your the pipeline begins. I mean, it begins from kindergarten because you need to get into a good yeah. first grade school. It's <laughs> just so wild to me. I mean, that's, that's just how yeah. it is when they're so limited. There's such a small amount of school, like prestigious schools. Like, yeah. But, like, what does that even mean, though? You know what I mean? Like, they have more resources. They have more resources. Also, they have, like, higher quality teachers, I guess, that can, like, prepare yeah. them for DSE. I mean, but it's also a lot of outside resources. Like, everybody tutors. Alumni, right? Yeah, alumni come back. Yeah. Alumni resources. And, mm-hmm. Tutoring outside of school, like, private tutoring. So I feel like it's just a whole combination of things. Yeah, it's like, 
I feel like yeah, it goes really deep because it also comes from like depends on what's your social economic status, like、mm-hmm. how much money you have to spend on tutoring. Yeah, can you afford to move? You know, like、yeah. I feel like connections too. Like, how involved is your parent with、mm-hmm. the school? Do they need to work? Like,、mm-hmm. can they can they be involved? So it's like it's a, a whole bunch of things. <laughs> it's just a lot, and it's、yeah. definitely. I feel like it is very similar here in terms of like setting your kid up for success. But there are just way more options here. So,、mm. and I feel like your what school you get into doesn't really affect your first job as much. You know. Like community college is not, I feel like community college is not looked as looked down upon, is way more looked down upon in Hong Kong. Like here, I feel like it makes sense. People don't want to spend money, and they, you know, community college, and they go into college.、Mm-hmm. But in Hong Kong, like if you don't get into university and you go to、um, associate,、IV. is it associates? Yeah, yeah, Ivy. That is a whole different like connotation. Yeah, yeah, you get looked down upon. Absolutely interesting. And speaking of that, like I feel like a lot of sometimes, like when kids who come from like a well-off com- family, like I think I'm like okay. And if they like don't do well, like not in my case, but like if they don't do well, their parents will like send them abroad、mm-hmm. to study. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like is connected to the next traits that we're talking about, like the Hong Kong working environment really favor people who are proficient in English、mm-hmm. and like expat, especially like being an expat and like if you've studied abroad in Western countries like the U.S., U.K., Australia, and Canada, like if you, I feel like if you have that on your resume, people will what's the word like. They'll favor you mm-hmm, more, mm-hmm.、Um, and I think like that is because a lot of the big companies in Hong Kong they still use English as the main form of written communication, even though between colleagues they still communicate in Cantonese.、Mm-hmm. And Crystal actually found this really interesting statistic about how the twenty sixteen census statistic suggests that eighty eight point five percent Of the working populations who take upper management and professional roles are white,、mm-hmm. and I think the favoritism towards like Western expats and is due to colonialism、mm-hmm. and how back then we were like a colony of Britons.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like. I wonder if it's because, like, obviously there's some inherent like racial bias behind it,、mm. but I wonder if it's because they feel like Westernized expats、um, have more knowledge of like when they need to communicate with other countries, because like obviously they、mm. are gonna be working with like big companies, right? They're gonna be working、mm. with the U.S., like Canada and stuff. So I wonder if it's like I wonder if that plays into like why English is so important too. So at least like get up to a higher role that you need to be proficient in it because you're not just working within Hong Kong. Yeah, you're more front facing. Yeah, and like- it's also because of I guess. How the company looks like. I wonder if it's like if we have an expat who is more international, like being the head of the company or like being the face of the company. Like 
that will affect other people's perceptions on the company. But I have a lot of friends whose managers are like Australian or British, you know, who are yeah. white men. Yeah. So I guess internationally, I don't know, maybe that's a reason. But also, it's hard. I feel like it's hard for from a local perspective, like how will someone who doesn't really know our culture manage? I like that feels yeah, wrong to me. Right. You know? Right? Like they're living a different I almost feel like they're living a different lifestyle. Yeah. Like they don't actually understand what's happening in everyday Hong Kong people's life. Mm-hmm. It's like they definitely get a leg up. Yeah. Yeah. And those people usually get a lot higher pay. Yeah. Than the local workers too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they are definitely more exposed like they definitely have inherently more opportunities. I wonder if like job postings post like they favor <laughs> probably not. They probably uh, don't do I that. Don't probably don't. Yeah, I don't think it's not that I don't think it's that blatant. They probably do like English speaking though, like proficient English. Mm-hmm. Um I know also schools, a lot of schools, like, favor a lot of Western people who come back from, like, other countries to teach, too, because it's, like, English proficiency. I remember my school mm-hmm. had a white teacher, white English teacher, and he was really funny. Mm. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yeah, English is a huge thing. I mean, we've talked about this so many times, how English mm-hmm. is just, like, a status of hierarchy to begin with. Um mm. But also one of the ideologies of um, entrepreneurialism has led to the very toxic, toxic trait of working overtime. I mean, Summer talked about her experience working um, the internship and how she couldn't, you know, leave, (laughs) the first one to leave. But um, I feel like Hong Kong corporate or just like in general, like workforce is very workaholic culture. So a study released in April by the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions showed that one in five of the city's more than three million employees worked an average of 55 hours per week last year, or 11 hours a day. 11 hours. I know. That's like seven to six or whatever. If you start at nine, you know, you leave at eight. Mm. But according to a poll done by UBS, employees in Hong Kong worked 50 point one hours per week on average so i guess it's gone up because it was 50 and now it's 55 it went up five hours in the past like five years Mm -hmm. and according to the study done by the confederation trade unions employees in sectors such as security food and drink land transport construction and retail had the longest working hours so like the blue collar jobs Mm mm-hmm and security guards suffered the most, with one in four of them pulling more than 72 hours a week. Oh, my God. So what is that? Like hours. like 10, 12 hours a no, day? No, more than that. A week. Like, they probably work more than five days a week. Mm-hmm. Like, seven. Let's say six. Like, 11 hours a day, Like, seven 12 days a hours week. for six, six days. Yeah. And according to that same survey, entry and mid-level employees saw an average annual income growth of 0.7% between 2008 and 2018. Taking into account inflation, while the city's gross domestic product per capita increased by 2% annually. I can't 0. believe 0.7% like, in 10 years? <laughs> Bruh. 
Yeah, that is like so ridiculous. Like I can see if like from the statistic why people go into business because in business you just stay in the company and you advance, right? I think that's how it works. Mm. At least from friends that I know that are in accounting, like that's how it works. Mm. It offers a secure security, like job security. 0.7. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like that also ties into the very low minimum wage in Hong Kong. So in February 2021, the Hong Kong government just announced that the statutory minimum wage rates will remain at um, 37.5 Hong Kong dollars, which is 4.8 US dollars per hour from 2020 and will remain so until April 2023, pending the next wage review to be conducted in October 2022. Can you believe that? 4.8 US dollars. And I feel like the the prices in Hong Kong is not that much lower than like San Francisco, for example. Oh, yeah. Like prices has gone up so much in the past few years. Yeah. I feel like I think I started, I looked at like housing prices in Hong Kong versus other countries. Hong Kong is like probably after New York, like it's up there. And the minimum mm-hmm. wage in New York is definitely not $5. <laughs> so, and yeah. like, I understand that food is cheaper and like probably things are cheaper, but not by that much. Yeah, like rent is crazy. That's why people don't move out in Hong Kong. Yeah, and then they expect, yeah, I, I hope they increase it. Like, they probably have announced it. We need to look on that, but that's wild. Mm-hmm. But it's still really low compared to the living standards. Yeah. And then, like, in terms of working overtime, um, from our research, we found that there are, like, two main sectors um, in Hong Kong that are affected the most. So, yeah, like, some sectors, like, healthcare have long been plagued by a shortage of trained talent, which is really true. And, like, they're also poorly paid and strenuous manual work also lack new blood. Um, official statistics show that the city has 1.9 registered doctors per 1,000 people in the population. And this severe shortage of hands can drive doctors and nurses to breaking points, especially during peak flu seasons each year with a dramatic increase in demand for healthcare services. And I can see how that can be like an issue during um, COVID too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's this doctor, Surgeon Fong, says often there are only four doctors tending to more than 200 patients at peak times in his hospital. On-call doctors who stay in hospital overnight in case of emergency operations and medical interventions for critically ill patients have to work long stretches continuously mostly over 30 hours with little rest like just oh my god that's like so crazy to me like you're it's like me doing a hackathon yeah working 26 hours with like 30 minutes of sleep it's horrible and you're like dealing with people with actual lives you would expect that they wouldn't put someone on call for that long because you you would be tired to like give someone a shot you know or yeah. Or like, yeah. 
operate it, like mm-hmm. yeah and even the doctor said like it's dangerous not just for doctors but for anyone whose work requires high level concentration mm-hmm. to work for more than 20 hours continuously and how fitting that I am in education because the next one is education workers <laughs> so education is also obviously another field that everyone knows that you know is underpaid and does a lot of work so fixed-term contracts are commonly used in hong kong's education sector almost one in five teachers in public primary and secondary schools are on annual contracts and many of them work overtime to secure their jobs and even i feel like even if they don't like have to work overtime or if they're not doing it to appease, like, you know, their boss or something, they have to work overtime because they're just... Just you because of the workload. Yeah, like, you don't have time to lesson plan in class. Mm. You just have to stay yeah. after school. And you have to correct mm-hmm. papers. And it's just a mm-hmm. lot of work. Like, I see the teacher I work with. I'm just like, yeah, you don't get paid enough. But... <laughs> Statistics from the union show that 53% of fixed-term contract teachers work more than 55 hours per week last year, with 10% working more than 70 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And they definitely have to work into the weekend, too. Like, like 14 hours. Like 14 hours. If they work five days a week, that's 14 hours per day. Yeah. I know sometimes, like, when I see how much teachers have to work, because it's like you're not just grading, you're not just teaching, you're you're – working with the principal you're like having parent teacher conferences you know like there's just so much and it's not like academically behaviorally like you're managing that too and sometimes i'm like do i really want to be a teacher it's just so much Mm -hmm. work so little pay yeah but yeah that makes sense i mean other than you know these two fields obviously the blue collar jobs too you know like Mm -hmm. yeah the labor work. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's it's nice for us to talk about this thing that we pointed out before we started recording about how a lot of Asian countries take the bulk of labor mm-hmm. from, I guess, U.S. companies. Yeah, I have, like, that's just, like, kind of my observation from what I saw mm-hmm. um, when my mom was working for the Hong Kong office um, for Target. So my mom works for the, like, Australian, like, division Mm. um, in the Hong Kong office. And what's interesting is, like, there's no Target in Hong Kong. Yeah. But they will set up an office there so then they can get cheaper labor with, like, people also, like, work really hard for them. So then they can support the lifestyle and, like, bring in profit for the people in western countries mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know like we always talk about how like western cultures working culture is very chill like we know how to set boundaries um we don't have to work overtime but i think sometimes like like it is a privilege and we have to recognize it like maybe we won't be able to like some big company won't be able to do that without the hard work of workers in like Asian country with like lower pay. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and and I feel like the same thing that goes with fast fashion, like big fast fashion companies, they just export the clothing to 
sweatshops or even not like even if it's not sweatshops like a lot of the clothes are made in like vietnam and china and it's like for cheaper labor and yeah to and who's making profit it's like western countries so it's Mm -hmm. exactly it's like apple apple they have their factories in china yeah and like the working condition is terrible Mm -hmm. so i guess to to conclude, I thought this would be a way longer episode because we had so much um, <laughs> content. But to conclude this episode, I guess, like, what do we think about the differences between Hong Kong versus U.S. working culture? And are we able to strike that work-life balance in our lives? Yeah. Yeah, I think that from my experience, um, I mean, I've only really worked for like two companies um mm-hmm. excluding like the the job that I had at the university. I feel like at the end of the day it still really depends on the company that you work for in terms of like workload and working overtime because when I was with my first company it was like a very small advertising agency mm-hmm. and we have a really toxic working culture like People will be working like 10 hours a day, working until 10 p.m. Mm. in the evening. Just because like, there's constantly a shortage of people and just too much work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the time, I was just an apprentice. So I, get, I got very low pay for a lot for my work. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was one experience, but with my current company, I think maybe it's because we're younger, like the entire, like the CEOs of the company, they're all like around like my age. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the oldest one was 27. And I feel like the newer generation have a greater appreciation and respect for work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, they really know how to draw boundaries for me and they know that okay if I'm working overtime I need to be paid um, and overall it's just really flexible I have like unlimited PTO and all that stuff mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah I I it's hard like to say the differences because obviously we haven't been in it and it depends on what field like, we mm-hmm. haven't been in it full-time, you know? It depends on what feel. But from the friends I have who are working in business, it just, like, sounds like a lot. A lot of, like, mental, like, fatigue of just upkeeping this image and, you know? Like, you just want to be yourself in daily life. And it just feels like you can't really. Yeah. In the U.S. or in Hong Kong? In Hong Kong. And you're, like, working mm. 10 hours a day, five days a week, you know? So... Yeah, it just feels like a constant rat race mm-hmm. of working and working and working. Yeah. And a lot of times people think that, okay, you work in order to buy a house, but then it's almost impossible in Hong Kong to buy a house if you just, like, work a mediocre job, yeah. you know, a non- yeah. normal job. Yeah, and it's like, what constitutes as you making it, you know? Like, when, what, ha- like, yeah, okay, you can go for the highest paying jobs, you can get your increase in title but then when when do you stop like i just feel like they're they don't there's no there's always something higher to achieve which is i which Mm. is 
very admirable, I think, because Hong Kong people know how to hustle. You know, they like they're very motivated. Yeah. They're very um, diligent. They can do their work really well, which is interesting for I think it's the same for education. I feel like the Hong Kong education is set up in a way where it trains students to be like not obedient, but like diligent and motivated and like vigorous work. And I see the good in that. But also, the U.S. school system is just so completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And that's the same for the, the, the work culture, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Where it's just yeah. so completely opposite. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's, like, pros and cons to each one of them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I feel like Hong Kong can be a little extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And shit have more protection around yeah. workers' benefits and, like, wealth. Mental health. Wealth they should offer free health. therapy to their workers. Even in the U.S., they should offer free I know. Therapy. Well, I guess with insurance, with health insurance, but all jobs should mm-hmm. offer health insurance. That is mm-hmm. what they should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Yay! So that concludes our episode for today. We hope you learned something new about yes. Hong Kong working culture. I definitely learned something new. It's such an mm-hmm. interesting thing, especially now that we are we are in our adulthood, um, and we can hear real life experiences mm-hmm. from people we know. So, mm-hmm. um, oh, rate us on Spotify. Give us yes. <laughs> give us them stars, um, and we will probably be back next month i'm not sure we shall see yeah, i think so like we have the thanksgiving if you don't i don't have like oh yeah much to do. yeah i was telling and summer you if you I don't have, have much off. to do we can you know yes. have like a thanksgiving episode yeah that'll be cute <laughs> mm-hmm. but thank you for listening and we will see you in the next episode cool bye bye bye